Hello, all you beautiful people. This is Optimistically Depressed, and I am your host, Ruth McMullen. Thank you for joining, and thank you for being patient with me. Um, As you're probably noticing, this is being released on Monday, not Thursday, and that's because, um, well, I guess what's been happening with many of us is during this pandemic is that all the days kind of run together and then before you know it you found yourself in this depressed lull where you're trying to just make it through the day so getting anything of anything else kind of done or putting like that like brain power into like productive things I suppose is much more challenging especially when in our situation we're homeschooling three kids and trying to run a household and kind of keep the place somewhat tidy so that we can be healthy and you know when you have a messy place it makes it so that your brain feels messy and you can't really settle so we're trying to stay on top of all these things while you know, maintaining our kids' health and then trying to keep them occupied so that they're not on the iPad all the time. And I mean, they're they're already on the iPad a lot anyway. I'm who am I kidding? But we're trying to have the outside time and just do all of these things to try to maintain the health of the family. So then, and I've been um, taking a course, which has been amazing, but also taking up my time. And so when it comes to like working on other things, uh, at the end of the day, I just find that I don't have the mental or physical energy to do it. So um, anyway, I'm late this time. Thank you for your patience. Um, I think that we're doing okay. Like, like aside from feeling like it's like we're trying to find this new normal where it's like well we're not going out we're gonna feel a little bummed by certain aspects of how life is right now I mean I I miss being able to just go out to the ocean and like look at it the other day I tried to go on a little date with our daughter we learned that the parks were open so I went down to Lawrencetown thinking you know oh that'd be so nice we can actually just like stand on the rocks and look at the ocean and just like breathe that air and it'll be so wonderful and we get there and it's closed because it's a beach and beaches are not open so that was just we tried to do the best like make the best of it and kind of parked in a spot where we could still kind of look over the ocean but it's just like kind of living with that cloud over you all the time now because there is just that kind of fear you can't be close to people that are outside of your household because you don't know if they like you have to just be careful and you kind of have to assume that anyone could give you the coronavirus and so you're like trying to keep away and maintain this distance and you're kind of always paranoid and a little tense and so then trying to like find that balance and like just like find that ease also and um kind of like keep your mind free and it's just you know adjusting to a whole new way of life and it's not looking like there's going to be much of a of a break not anytime soon but my gosh I hope that we have a summer um I know that everybody's hoping that (laughs) 
but uh, and it feels nice to get like any kind of nice piece of news like positive news is always wonderful I can't go on like even going on Google and like when I'm about to search something and it shows you all these like little headlines when it's like when they when there are these stories that are that are also just heavy it's kind of like do we not understand in the world yet, even yet, that we need to have like just a bit of a break? Like, how about like some of these things like, um, it just seems like some stories is just, they're just searching for more negative things. And how about we also try to celebrate this positive things? Cause we particularly need that right now. Uh, anyway, I went on a little rant. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm still kind of trying to empty my head and get back into a better mindset. And speaking of getting into a better mindset, (laughs) I got to interview Shannon. Uh, She is incredible. I I loved the conversation that we were able to have. She's so encouraging and was so what's the word just like had this look on her face we did a zoom call she had this look on her face the whole time that I spoke whenever I spoke it was so just like encouraging and I felt like I could really just say anything to her and it was a really healthy conversation that we had the things that she has been through I mean we didn't we barely got into any of it it because it's just there's so many layers there's so much depth to what she's been through and what she has to offer but what we did get into was was mind-blowing and inspiring I learned so much and I uh, can't wait to talk to her again we're planning on doing another zoom call and uh, she's just she's highly intelligent in many aspects and I just she has a really 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 wonderful feeling about her too so you're gonna love her and she's also a counselor and you can actually make an appointment with her I have her information posted online so take a look and now have a listen to our conversation Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. So just so you know, I'm recording right now. And oh, beautiful. Yeah, um, but we can start whenever you feel comfortable. But thanks for sending that email to me. Oh, I'm I'm good to start whenever. I um, I can't even remember how, how I found you. It was total serendipitous happenstance type moment where I was like, oh my God, somebody's actually talking really openly about these super vulnerable topics. I need to do this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, thank you. It's funny. Like these, um, sorry, I'm just going to make sure I have this adjusted properly. Um, it's funny how, like with these kinds of things, I found that for myself, it wasn't until I had somebody else talk openly about this stuff until I could start talking openly about it. And I know that you've been already talking openly about it. And I find that like, so you sharing these things, especially because I haven't touched on a lot of them. Okay. Um, that's going to be really amazing for all these people who are 
still sitting in silence about this. Yeah. So thank you so much for being open and being willing to talk with me and our listeners about this stuff. Well, thanks for for accepting that email and whatnot. Like the gratitude goes goes both ways. Thank you. <laughs> so um so you said that you've been using your experiences to help other people. I have. Yeah. I, um, after I got through PTSD and I thought that PTSD was like a life sentence, I was going to have it for the rest of ever. It's not true because PTSD is an injury to your brain. It's not necessarily like a mental health condition that follows you around and kind of holds you hostage. You can heal it once you desensitize those memories that were traumatic and led to you having the diagnosis. And once I realized, yeah, I see your feet. <laughs> yeah, you're like already blowing my mind. This is like, okay. And I have to say, I'm so excited to talk to you more about post-traumatic stress disorder because, yeah. uh, because I've kind of talked about it with other people, but it was a misdiagnosis. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, I'm just like really interested to learn more about what you have to say about it. So, okay. Um, please continue. <laughs> okay. Um, so once I realized that it wasn't going to be something I had for the rest of ever, and that I already had modalities in my toolkit with meditation, I have a background in fine art. I've been writing since I was probably 10 years old. I knew that those tools were there. And if I just went back to those core fundamental values that I had, mm -hmm. that it would not only help me kind of reclaim my voice and, and often PTSD, somebody arrives at that because something that their brain considers to be a life-threatening event has happened. Um, sometimes it's perceived, sometimes it's real. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's how your brain is processing those memories. Okay. So realizing that for me, it was built on a foundation of childhood trauma um, complicit parents, abusive sibling, and then going through high school with abusive relationships, um, sexual abuse, things like that, compounded by losing my dad at an early age. Um, I was, it was 2005, so 21, 22-ish. Um, la just layers and layers and layers of trauma compounded into hypervigilance, paranoia, rage tendencies. It wasn't what you would think and typically associate with depression or anxiety. For me, it manifested in being angry all the time. And as somebody who was a newlywed and then going through pregnancy and becoming a parent, it very quickly was diagnosed as postpartum depression after I had our first. Okay. And so we just kind of went with the diagnosis and we did all the things. And my abuser growing up um, was a drug addict. So I didn't want to go with pharmaceuticals, knowing that that addictive behavior, since he's my sibling, knowing that that addictive behavior is already there genetically, I didn't want to potentially um, compromise any therapeutic elements that could be offered by the, the medicine. 
So it was like a, a long two and a half years of just battling it every single day. And we got pregnant again and we lost her um, at 11 weeks or so. And my husband was like, I don't know that I can do this anymore. Like it's, it's just so hard. And I'm the type of person that it's like, okay, we'll put that in a little bottle. We'll label it for later. We'll put it on a shelf and I'll deal with it when I deal with it. I just, I kind of stuff it all down. Mm -hmm. One day it's like a tornado just kind of erupts and is circling around. I can't find my feet at all. And I remember so distinctly sitting in um, family therapy with my husband just for us to work on communication and us being on the same page with each other. And I was talking about a couple of clients that I had at the time and how it felt really chaotic and like that hypervigilant fear that one of my clients was going to die was so prevalent with me. And the therapist looked at me and she's like, you know, you have PTSD, right? What? Yeah. And I sat back and I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it was just like, it was, so you weren't even like eased into it. It was like, wait, you, you do, you do know this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She, like we were talking about a couple of clients that I had and typically in, um, I'm a birth and postpartum doula on top of being a a counselor now. Okay. And I, back then, so this is 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a couple of clients that were crisis clients back to back to back. Um, that tends to be the type of client that I get, I think largely because of what my own history is that, I can hold that space and I can help somebody through that Mm -hmm. while not taking on all of their stuff. Mm -hmm. But this time I took it all on and it was too much. Usually I space them out months and months in, in between, but this time it was one after the other and people's lives were in danger. So sitting in her office and her saying to us, you know, you have PTSD, right? I was like, Oh my God, I do. I totally do. And then like it, it was, I know a, a lot of people often talk about um, getting their diagnosis and it just making so much sense to them. Yeah. And it almost being a huge amount of relief when you get that, because then you finally have an answer and you can put a plan in action of how to deal with this. Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked about what might be a good course of action for me. And again, not necessarily wanting to go pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. I still made a, an appointment with our, our GP. And I said to him, listen, I've done a lot of research because that's also part of my job as a doula is to sort through all of the information and, and figure out what's the best option for me. Yeah. And I said, you know, I just, I don't know. I've seen that there's an application for acupuncture in the ear as it relates to like PTSD in veterans and what they see on the battlefield. Um, and my doctor was all over it. He's wow. like, this, this is fantastic. Integrative care is so great. So he's like, you, I don't want you to just go and pick up a bottle of adrenal support or St. John's wort or anything like that, that could be beneficial. 
I want you to go to a naturopathic doctor. I want you to start a remedy with them. So we did an aggressive um, acupuncture protocol that was like two days a week for the first six weeks. And she would actually leave. I think the most I had in my body at one time, I think was 30 needles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, and okay. I, I mean, I've got um, a 10-year-old boy and a 5-year-old boy, so they think that it's kind of neat. <laughs> and so I had her, like, taking pictures of me and stuff, and they're like, oh, my God, Mom, you look like a pincushion. This is insane. <laughs> but I would have, like, six in each ear, in my face, down in my ankles, even in my belly. And okay. it's, yeah, it was interesting. And then she would, like, do guided meditation with me as I was going through it. But some of the points in your ear, like there's some up here kind of in the rook position yeah. for people who get piercings. Mm -hmm. um, she would leave a little acupressure ball that would be taped on. So in times that I was feeling triggered, I could grab that spot and push on it and it would correspond with the trauma center of my brain. It would diffuse the situation almost immediately. It was incredible. It was so life-changing to be able to um, desensitize the triggers so that I could do the therapeutic work after. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, wait. I have a question just about, <laughs> I mean, I have a million questions, but sure. um, one that I want to ask is how, like, what are the tells that somebody could, like, a therapist could sit down and, and talk with you and be like, oh, you have PTSD? Because like you were saying, some people like have depression or, um, or like have like extreme anger, but those can just be like, it seems like it's something that's like slippery. Like it's kind of difficult to, to diagnose. It can. Like, yeah. Um, a lot of the questions that they asked me, um, mm -hmm. once the original therapist was like, Hey, I'm pretty sure you have this. Okay. Um, it was insomnia or trouble sleeping, flashback okay. nightmares, um, paranoia and hypervigilance. So I would, one of the big, those were the biggest ones for me. Those were the biggest symptoms for me okay. that instead of sleeping, because I feared the flashback nightmares and it always was surrounding, um, something happening to my dad because he, he passed away in a, in a pretty aggressive way. Okay. Um, so it would always be images of him where I couldn't get to him to help him because okay. I couldn't be there when he died. Um, so those types of flashback memory nightmare type things, um, the inability to even fall asleep because you're just paranoid to fall asleep and then okay. the hypervigilance. So for me, that was, that was the big one the laying awake at night and listening to all of the sounds going on in our house and catastrophizing them. So it wouldn't just be the cat jumping off of the counter. The cat was jumping off of the counter because she found another animal in the house that had gotten in by this way, which means that there's an outside portal to the outer world that somebody could then break in and kill my family. Okay. Like my brain would go in that big of a spiral. Okay. That's not normal. That's not a normal train of thought. But I even had that as a new parent. I would think, okay, if I'm standing at the top of the stairs holding my baby, how much is it going to hurt 
if I fall while bracing him, so he's okay. But if I fall, oh, but if I fall, then I'm going to crash through the railing and then I'm going to die and then nobody's going to be here and I'm not going to have a life with my child. And like just that spiral would continue. And I had no idea that that was one of the main things with PTSD. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah. It's huge. And it's something that people just kind of write off as like a catastrophizing thought cycle. Yeah. Not necessarily. If you've ever been in a situation where your life has been threatened or your safety has been threatened, you're always, until you heal up and desensitize those memories, you're always going to go to what the worst case scenario is, which is going to be somebody's going to die. Right. Okay. And so, and my understanding is that you don't necessarily remember what it is that set off Yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So it kind of mimics psychosis a little bit because you don't necessarily know how you got there. It happened so fast and your brain just takes a complete departure. Okay. It takes a complete departure Mm -hmm. from like, from reality from reality (laughs) yeah Yeah, okay and so then is it important for you to remember the event that started everything or is it more just about what you do to repair your brain um so for me um after we did the acupuncture I started with a psychologist who does EMDR so yeah. eye movement desensitization and retraining. It's amazing. What is it called? Okay, so EMDR. Did yeah. you just say what it stands for? Because I I missed it. <laughs> eye, eye movement desensitization and retraining. Okay, so it's using bilateral stimulation. So left, right, left, right. Okay. While you are recalling the memory of the traumatic event. Okay. To take the trauma out of the memory. To take the trauma out of a, how does yes. that work? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of ways that psychologists do it or psychotherapists or whoever is trained that you go to. It's really important that the person is properly trained. Okay. Um, typically you'll do a session where you set sort of like a calm space or something that you can exercise detachment in. If the memories are just too hard that day, you can say, I'm checking out and I'm going to my calm space. That's okay. I did that in some of my sessions because it was just too heavy. Okay. But when you get into it, you can either follow your therapist's finger back and forth. Okay. So your brain is focusing on that bilateral stimulation while also recalling those memories. And then it's almost as if you're watching it play out like you're looking at the scene through a window. So my psychologist would, the bilateral stimulation with my eyes open didn't work. I'm way too visual of a person for that. So she actually had these vibrating pads that she would put underneath my thighs that would vibrate back and forth. Oh, okay. So I could, and then when I closed my eyes, I could concentrate on left, right, left, right. Okay. And she said she could see my eyes flitting back and forth just from the movement. 
whoa, whoa. Kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah, that's so weird how our bodies are so connected. Okay. Totally. So when we did that, she would say, okay, now I want you to picture that you're on a train and you're watching this outside the window. This is, this is a memory that's already happened. So it can't hurt you again. Okay. You're just watching it unfold. Like it's a story. Okay. So we would bring back a certain memory. We started with how I found out my dad passed away. So we brought that to mind and she would say now, you know, what core belief do you hold about yourself? as it relates to that time. Whoa. Talk about a deep question. Yes. And thankfully she had like this little laminated chart (laughs) (laughs) to help kind of sort that out because I would sit there and be like, what do you mean? What core belief? Like I was sad. She's like, no, sad is a feeling. Sad is the feeling that you associate with that time. But what did you believe about yourself? And it was the guilt of not being able to be there to help. Okay. So when we start uncovering that, and then she would say, now go with that. That was like her, the one big phrase that I still remember. Now go with that. And the pads would start vibrating. And I would just silently picture this scene replaying. And then the pads would stop. And she would say, now what do you see? And I would tell her what I saw. And she would say, now go with that. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Because your brain is making connections to other things. There would be certain times, especially in the stories surrounding my dad, that my brain would check out and I would say, oh, I see my son getting ready for hockey. Oh. I, I see this. I see, and it would, it would usually be around my 10-year-old who's very connected with my dad, even though my dad passed away five years before he was even born. But my dad played hockey. Okay. That's, okay. There were, there were connections with everything. And the EMDR took out the trauma. And I can remember my dad and I can remember the time and I can talk about how I found out that he had died without breaking down. I can talk, and this is like, honestly, this is why I can talk so openly and so vulnerably about being sexually assaulted, um, being bullied as a child, kind of those darker moments of an angsty teenager writing poetry about not wanting to be here anymore. Yeah. Because those memories aren't triggered and so deeply entrenched in trauma anymore. So that's how you've changed the memory yes is that and that's part of healing your brain yeah Yeah. so in between sessions the other pivotal piece for me um was writing um writing poetry and just pouring all of it out in its raw and ugly truth sometimes Mm. and validating that this is how I felt and it was never wrong never it was never wrong how I felt and what I remembered those things to be actually happened. Because when you're dealing with somebody, especially in like a sexual assault or a gaslighting type relationship as you're growing up, yeah, foundations of abuse and, and childhood trauma and whatnot, you often misremember things Yes, as you get older and you're like, did that actually happen? Yes. And, and it, 
your brain starts to play tricks on you. And then you've got other people that were involved that are telling different stories and whatnot. And you just, you don't know what to believe. Yeah. But when you spend the time to do the work to figure out what those memories actually were, it happened to you. It happened. Nobody, it, nobody else's truth really matters once you, once you get older. So it's just that you're focusing on what you truly know happened to you and you're not going to be concerned about the point of view of anybody else that even may have been involved. Yes. Yeah. And you, I think as, as I got older, I kind of got to this spot where it didn't really matter. Like uh, it was complicated, right? Because it's, it's my family, like my nuclear, nuclear family that I grew up with. That's a complicated thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. to have to be vulnerable enough to say, this happened. There's no going back from it because it happened years and years and years ago. Whether people want to accept responsibility for their part in it or not, doesn't really matter anymore because it happened. And I can speak openly about it, whether or not people want to believe it, because I know that it's true. I've desensitized the memories to the point that I can speak openly and honestly about it without fear of repercussion. Okay. So this is something, I guess, like I'm going to be bringing in my personal stuff. Yeah. Because I've just recently started to be able to say that I was assaulted and that I was uh, sexually abused. And it's, yeah. And part of the thing that's so scary about it is first of all, if I say it, does that make it true? Mm-hmm. And then second, uh, am I actually wrong? You know, like, and mm-hmm. so, and like you're, and yeah, you're thinking about like the people that did this and, and in my head, I'm just thinking, well, if I were to go to that person and say this happened and they were to say, no, it didn't. What then? Does that mean, does that make it so that like this like thing that really formed how I look at the world and the way that I grew up and the values that I have now, it's kind of, it, it, the, they were things that like, that Mm -hmm. started this pathway that I'm on now. And so like, what does that mean for all of that? And it's, yeah. And it's, it's terrifying. And I, I actually recently had even a conversation with a family member talking about some other things that happened, um, like some abuse and that, and that kind of stuff. And they just looked at me and said, that didn't happen. And it was like, and it just, it really like destroyed me in a way because it was like, Mm -hmm. but this is, but it did, it did happen. Like, how can you stand? Like you were right there. You, like you saw it. How Mm -hmm. can you say that? And then, and then it took me actually talking with, um, another family member who was also there uh, and saying like, did this happen or am I crazy? Or, and then this other person and it took them being like, no, no, that happened. Of course that happened. Yeah. Like that's why we did this. And that's why, you know, and then, and, but it was like, I needed that to be like, okay, finally. Okay. Then I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. And I definitely do want to get to what you're talking about where it's like, I know this like, this is my experience. Mm -hmm. Is that what, and is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, it's that, it's that, you know, this to be true because you lived it and it, it doesn't, 
the voice inside of you is so much more important than making it more comfortable for everybody else who may not want to believe that it actually happened. Okay. I like that. The voice inside of you is more important than making the people around you comfortable. Yep. I had to have some really big, hard conversations with, I mean, with my mom and say, Hey, this happened. And you walked by one time and you stood there and you looked and you kept walking. And that is complicated too, because she has a brain injury. So she doesn't always remember everything. So it's very easy for her to say, no, that didn't happen. Or for her to, um, I mean, when, when there's, when you're dealing with somebody who has like a genetic mental health issue or an addictions issue or whatnot, it's very easy for people to be like, oh, but poor him, he's, he's not okay. I'm like, okay, but he still did this and that's not okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. So it's, I don't know, for me, it just kind of got to the point where I didn't really care anymore. Her, like their voice, their opinion of it, their perception of what has happened and transpired doesn't really matter because he's still just as sick as what he ever was. He's still manipulating people and using his narrative in a very sick and twisted way. I can sit here with the truth and be comfortable with it, even if it causes discord and discomfort with other people, because I know that it's my story and that it happened. And me saying it and me validating it, even just for myself, has caused other people to start coming to the forefront and being like, oh my God, this happened to me. And this happened on a date. And this happened here. And my life was built like this. And everybody thought it was beautiful and glowing and rainbows everywhere, but it really wasn't. My family was dark. It's, mm. it's given people the opportunity to start reclaiming their bodies, their narrative, their story, all of that. And to be a catalyst for that, it's, it's been so incredible to do that for other people and to hold that space and to really feel like, okay, maybe there was a purpose to all of this. How important would you say that going to the person that was involved and talking to them about it is? It's not. Okay. It's not. Okay. Because you don't need their validation. You don't need, they will never fully accept responsibility for what they did to you because it's shameful and it's really heavy for them to have to take on that responsibility. And maybe somewhere in their own brain, they just aren't ready to, or they don't have the capacity to. Okay. You don't need their validation ever. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm soaking it in. It's so, it's interesting that we're having this conversation right now, like right, like today, because it's like, it's strange how things kind of seem to come along when they're needed Mm -hmm. and kind of just like fall into like this place. And it's like, 
because I've been kind of, I've been working through a course over the past almost four weeks and a lot of it has involved me facing some really dark uh, stories from my past mm-hmm. and healing from it. And I found that a lot of it was, um, um, a lot of it also had, has to do with actually listening to my body, like, and, and like that inner voice that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Our bodies store the memories of all of this trauma and until we actually speak it and validate it, those, those bad feelings, those, those ugly emotions, the anger, the sadness, the deep seated grief, how we feel it like in our gut and in our hips and all that kind of stuff it demands our attention and it will yell at us until we actually sit down and validate that it's there. So it just, it take, it takes us actually sitting down and saying, okay, this is what happened. And, and I feel sad and it's okay that I feel sad. And like surrounding my dad passing away, I felt guilty. And for the longest time I had no idea that I felt guilty about that but I also felt grief and I felt anger of having to be the one at 21 years old making funeral arrangements because nobody else had the capacity to do that. You know, there's, there's so many layers to it all that if we bury it down and we try to silence it, that's when it roars. That's when it yells at us until we can't ignore it anymore but that's usually when it hurts the most. Yeah. And so, and, and in your experience, a lot of it came out as anger. Oh yeah. And like throwing things, anger. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yelling, and- screaming, throwing things, but not always, not always realizing how I got to that point. Like it would just be like a, a switch flipped in my brain that, nope, now you're mad. So and there would be no going back from it. And it was like, so you would just kind of like hit a trigger that you weren't aware of? Is yes. That what it, okay. Yep. Yep. I would be exposed to something or um, see, like even in a television show, um, around the time that I was diagnosed with PTSD, we were watching Peaky Blinders a lot. Okay. Which I love. It's a fantastic show, but not when you have PTSD. It's really aggressive. Okay. <laughs> um, but there are a couple of episodes that deal with drug use, that deal with really brutal violence, um, that deal with rape and sexual assaults. And we would always watch it after our kids had gone to bed. So right before we went to bed, which would magnify nightmares and magnify hypervigilance and all that kind of stuff that I didn't even, until I was further removed from it, I couldn't really put two and two together and be like, oh, yeah, that's probably not the best thing that I should be watching right now. Okay. I need to watch The Office or something yeah. funny. Like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, like I need, I need a little Shit's Creek. I don't need to be watching <laughs> all of these things that are so heavy all the time. And anytime that it would... Um, my brain would start getting attached to memories of growing up and 
um, how my sibling was idolized and praised and all these different things, I would find myself watching documentaries about the drug industry because that's what I associate him with. So I would sit down and then I would binge watch things for days. Yeah. And then I was like in a complete fog and then I would lash out and be this angry human being that really isn't me. It's just a trauma response for me. Right. So then how long has it been since you started to address uh, the trauma? It has been about two and a half years. And how quickly was it, like, I'm assuming that the anger, like, lashing out doesn't happen anymore? No, no, it doesn't happen anymore. It, um, it was really interesting. With, within probably two or three treatments with EMDR, like, the acupuncture and whatnot really calmed me down and okay. made me relaxed enough to be able to get into the deeper work. Um, but within probably two or three treatments of the EMDR, my husband looked at me and he's like, you're a different person. Whoa. So I did biweekly treatments between March and mid July Uh in the same year. And I went to that last appointment with like this big, beautiful stone of obsidian to recognize that, um, as a gift to my psychologist to say like, thank you for making me face my dark. Um, and I knew that it was going to be the last time that I saw her because I, I knew that I was okay. And I sat down and, and we just, we had a lighthearted appointment of saying thank you to each other. And I gave her a big hug and she's like, I'm here if you need me. And I'm like, I know. And to walk away. So March to July, and I haven't been triggered since then. So that would have been July, 2018. Wow. (laughs) But it's, it's one of those things that when you can unpack all of those things, especially when you have so many layers of trauma and so much has happened and even, even situations that you wouldn't necessarily consider to be traumatic relationships that kind of mimic what had happened, even just one characteristic of a person that you've been exposed to that mimicked your original abuser those can be layers that get cycled on top of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a trauma sandwich. Basically. Oh my gosh. Yep. But when those layers come together, you can be desensitizing one relationship and one traumatic experience that mimics another one. You heal both of them at the same time. You do. Yes. So it's not like you have to kind of just work through each. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because like, <laughs> like when you're looking at your past and like you're starting to actually recognize how dark it is, mm-hmm. you do kind of like get, I know for me, it's like I get stuck in this like, oh my gosh, it's just going to take forever. I'm never like, I'm never going to be okay. And I know that, you know, all the wise philosophers and everything, like it's always like, yeah, you never are going to be like fully there kind of thing but it's just like I was it's like you get overwhelmed with this thought that you're never going to reach a point where you where living is bearable oh you do you do there's um I've come to really deeply understand that there is um always hope on the other side of fear and light on the other side of the darkness 
But the only way you're going to get there is by getting through. Mm. You have to do the work. You have to do all of the stuff that feels uncomfortable and that you would so much rather bury. You have to do that to be able to see the light and get to the hope afterwards. There was another... um... There was another term that you brought up in the email that you sent me mm-hmm. or another um, like acronym, acronym. It's CPTSD. Mm-hmm. What's the C stand for? Complex. So okay, that's- yeah. So that's when you have many traumatic experiences layering on top of each other. So for me, it wasn't just that my dad died. It wasn't just that I was abused. It was that I was abused, that I was then abused twice in high school and once in university and my dad died and I had uh, postpartum depression and psychosis and a miscarriage. It was all of the things that kind of came together to create this tornado for me. And sorry, uh, what's psychosis? So psychosis is... um, kind of when you lose your ability to associate with reality, but you don't know how you got there. So as it relates to maternal mental health and postpartum depression, typically it will be things like um, disassociation with reality, starting to question your own mortality. Um, some, it's kind of a, it's a bit far-fetched sometimes, for okay. people looking at it, because it, it just seems really strange. But for me, it was those anger responses. So it would be, um, I, I only remember this really because I've been told it kind of thing, because I don't fully have the full memory of it. Okay. But there was a time where I called my husband. I remember that he was golfing and I was alone with this baby. I don't remember what Owen was doing at the time um, as an infant, but I remember sitting on the floor and just screaming uncontrollably and calling my husband. There were no audible words. It was just me screaming at him through the phone. And he came home. I have no idea how I got there. I have no recollection of what happened to trigger it at all. But I know that it happened. Okay. And that was, and it was- And that psychosis. Yeah. And that psychosis. Yep. And, um, when you say that you were abused in high school, mm-hmm. were this, so these were separate people, like not in yes. the family? Um, yeah, I was abused, um, between the ages of about eight, nine ish, um, physically, verbally, mentally, sexually by my sibling, until I was about 14. When I was 14, that was the last time that he hit me because I hit him back. Wow. Okay. And I wasn't going to take it anymore. Um, but when I was in high school, I had a couple of romantic relationships that ended up not being positive relationships. And then again, when I was in university. And that's like, and that, I mean, that's something that we tend to see a lot yeah. with people who've been abused. It's like, it's like that comfort, right? Like it's like, or is it uh, familiarity? Like you, I, you, yeah, I think it's, and I also think that it's, it's a bit of um, 
like a predatory behavior type thing, they look at us and they're like, oh, there's, there's a weak one. I can get them because something's happened to them before. Yes. Yes. And I can pray on that. Yes. It's like there, yeah, there's actually something that, um, people who've been abused, like give off that these other people can pick up on. Yes. And then they start with cultivating that level of trust. They start, it it kind of go, it's akin to gaslighting, right? Like they start um, cultivating this relationship with you that I'm the only one who's going to love you. I'm the only one who's going to be here for you. And then you come to find out that you were a prom date vet. And you come to find out that this person really wasn't interested and also wasn't interested in you saying no. Okay. And it just, it just, it becomes a cyclone. Like it's until you can stand up and stand in your power and reclaim your body as your own, because that's all that it was ever designed to be. Yes. It keeps happening. And then, and when it comes to also working through this, so you had the EMDR therapy Mm -hmm. and then you also said that the, that you do meditation and writing. Mm -hmm. Is this something that's like a daily practice? Yeah. Okay. It is so soul filling to me to sit down with, it's a journal that one of my doula clients gifted to me after her baby was born. And I, in between my EMDR appointments would just sit down and write freely in poetry because that's just how I work. Mm -hmm. Um, so instead of writing down this big, long journal dumping of words, I try and piece it together into something that's a bit of a beautiful disaster and pulling it all together. All of a sudden I was like, these words need a home. They need to be in a book somewhere. They need, people need to read this so that they can reclaim their stories and they can reclaim their bodies and their voices and recognize that as an important piece of their puzzle. So I just kept writing until it felt complete. And I turned it into a manuscript because why not? (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) you did. So is that, and so then is that something available like for people to, um, it's with a publisher in the UK right now. Um, so we're just through like final proofs and cover design and all that kind of stuff. And, and I have to, I'm starting to wrap my head around like audio book because it's, it's, no, it's not just my story. It's also telling a story of others. Um, I think it's important that it's me that reads it because some of them, it really is my story and it really is me reclaiming my voice and taking my power back from the people who sought to silence it for so long. That has such a new meaning to me as well. When it, when you say like, kind of like reclaiming my voice, reclaiming my body, like Mm -hmm. this is mine. And then like, and like understanding that safety that you have Mm -hmm. in your own body. I didn't even recognize that I didn't feel safe in my body. No, no, that's not true. It was like, I did recognize I didn't feel safe in my body, but I didn't recognize that my body was capable of keeping me safe. Mm. until like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And it was during one of the exercises that I was doing from this course. And it was like, 
all of a sudden it was like, yeah, I could, it was like, um, it was like actually listening to each part of my body, like kind of like letting my body speak for, for me and all of a sudden. And that was when I was able to actually listen and be like, oh, this is like, I am actually like, I'm a grown woman and I I am wise and I do have the strength and control over what happens to me now. And, and it was like, I finally started to realize that I would just been really letting that little, that scared little girl take the lead and kind Mm -hmm. of guide me where I've actually turned into a woman who's very strong and can, and can take care of herself. Yeah. But it was like, that was something that I just didn't even realize that was happening. Like I didn't realize that that little girl was the one leading me. Totally. And if that little girl was always told you only speak when spoken to, you sit, you be quiet, sit there on the shelf, you're never going to find that voice. If that's what you continue to believe and if that's what was instilled in you as you were growing up, you're never going to believe that you speaking the truth of what happened to you is a valid and important thing to do because nobody has asked you to. Nobody yes. has told you to tell your story. Yes. And it's like, and then, and it's, it's funny because it's like, you also need to have that permission. Like, it's like, you need that mm. permission, but all of a sudden, like, you can realize that you can give yourself that permission. Yeah. You're an adult. Nobody yeah. needs to give you permission for you to own your truth. Yeah. And uh, and I, I love that you clarified how what that mean like more what that means to to claim your truth. Mm-hmm. The how how that is how that is valid. Yes. Cause I you know yeah, when it comes to abuse, like you don't believe you just part of it. Part of it, I think is like, you can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, there's a huge dissociation that happens. Um, there's, there's stories of people like picking up like a corner of the wallpaper and thinking, okay, I'm going to mentally put myself up in that corner and just tuck myself away. And I'm not going to pay attention to that. The fact that this is actually happening to me right now. So they totally dissociate even physically from that experience. But then in subsequent experiences, they do the same thing. Yeah. And then it just layers and layers and layers until you can't put on any more layers anymore. And you have to explode at that point because it's just too much. Yes. Yes. And then, yes, and it's like, and any additional thing, it doesn't matter what it is, any additional yeah. thing, you're just like, ah, like, and it's yeah. just out and done and you're defeated and, oh my God. Oh, you're not defeated. You're just starting the process of unraveling. That's all. Uh. Okay. <laughs> oh, I have a question. Um, okay. <laughs> What is your view on like screen therapy? Do you have you heard of that? Well, I mean, yeah, um, heard of that, but I mean, I mean, I'm sure I've done it from time to time. Yeah, um, I don't know because I've been sure that I have a thought on it. Okay, because I've been trying to like. I mean, we all joke about screaming into your pillow. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's too much. I scream into my pillow, but it's like I actually do scream into my pillow, <laughs> and I've found that. Um, 
before I would, I was kind of doing it as like a, as like a, a response, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that was a healthy way of doing it or not, but now it's like, uh, when I've been doing it, it's more of like a, a letting it out, like kind of like a, it's like that energy is there. It's going to come out somehow. And this way it's like, at least I'm having control of it and like, and just letting it out, like directing Yeah. And like being intentional with it and mindfully doing it instead of it just being something that overtakes you kind of thing. Right. Yes. Yes. That's Mm. what it is. Yeah. Um, It makes sense that it would work because there's going to be a chemical reaction within your body as well. Right. And if you start to change what your thought process is around that scream and the process of screaming, it's going to trigger oxytocin more than it triggers adrenaline. Oh, because you're getting gratification out of it and you're associating it with something that you have control over and something that is relieving and something that, um, causes you to feel better afterwards. So it's going to end up triggering oxytocin, which is our happiness hormone. So it makes sense. Huh? That's interesting. So, okay. So you're a counselor. You're a counselor. And when did you start getting into that? Um, really like at like my last site, uh, my last appointment with my psychologist, I said to her, I think I'm going to apply to do my master's. And she was like, of course you are. What else are you going to do now, Shannon? <laughs> um, it was like attending my first birth. I came home and I crawled into bed in the wee hours of the morning. I said to my husband, I think I want to be an obstetrician. And he's like, you're crazy. Like stop. Just <laughs> slow down a little bit. But I said to her, I'm like, I just, I feel like this is so much bigger than me putting words into a book or me desensitizing my emotions or thoughts or memories. There's something bigger here. There's a bigger calling to help other people get through the darkness and get to the lighter side. And I thought that there was only one way to arrive at helping um, in Ontario and psychotherapists in Canada, and there's lots of rules and regulations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing your master of social work, I thought was an integral piece to get me where I wanted to go. Um, so I applied and I didn't get accepted and I was devastated. Uh-huh. Um, cause I thought that that was the only thing that I could do. So then I met with, um, because in my doula capacity, it's really out of our scope of practice to, to do anything bigger in terms of maternal mental health. So we have a team of psychotherapists that we refer to. So I sat down with one of them and said, okay, this is what I want to do. This is my delivery of services. I want it to be focused more on emotional regulation from a spiritual, mindful, intentional way than therapy. And Mm -hmm. sitting down and doing therapy. I want there to be something else, another layer that could complement therapy. And she looked at me and she's like, well, what you're doing is counseling, but you're doing it in an alternative holistic way that isn't so focused on science. You're focused on feelings because any psychotherapist, um, psychologist, psychiatrist that you go to, they will say feelings are not facts. They're just feelings. But to me, I feel like feelings are really important because they're ingrained in our memories. They're ingrained in our values. They're ingrained in our perception of self-worth. 
those feelings are so important. And if, like I said, if we don't validate the ones that don't feel good, they end up holding us captive. They end up roaring at us until we can't deafen them anymore. We have to be able to validate them. So what I do with my clients is we spend time debriefing whatever it is that they're going through at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I do guided meditation and visual imagery with them. And then we either do artwork afterwards or we do journaling and writing afterwards and all in a very guided and intentional way. So it's not like they're just left to their own devices. And then after their appointment, 24 hours later, I follow up with them. And I ask them, how are you feeling? How did you sleep? How is the rest of your day? Do you have any questions? Because I find that that's another piece that often gets missed in between appointments. Um, A lot of people feel like they're just left to their own devices and that they're floundering between their appointments with a counselor or a therapist. And I don't want my clients to ever feel like they're alone because it's so isolating to do all of this heavy work and then be on your own. I don't want anybody to ever have to feel that way. So I touch base with them and then I send them homework for like home practice. If we were doing like calm place imagery or emotional clearing breathing or whatever it is that we did during their session, I write out instructions of how I want them to do it at home and journaling prompts for them to do it at home. And then we have more sessions as they need to. Um, it's, it's really, um, obviously it's the cultivation of a trusting relationship, but it's also a cultivation of a safe space for them to just unravel in and to say, these are the things that happened and it didn't feel good and nobody believes me, but this is what happened. So get, creating that safety for them is, is paramount. So how, like, so for the listeners who might be interested in reaching out to you, first, do you, so you're in Ontario, right? Yes. And do you do, um, like Zoom call? I do. Yeah. Especially now with this pandemic world that we're living in, which is also super triggering and totally a forced trauma on everyone. Um, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So what I've been doing for the past, uh, six weeks or so, I've been offering five pro bono appointments every week that people can book as needed. Um, and then in June, what I'm going to be doing, I'm still going to be offering those same five appointment times, but we're going to be doing it on a donation basis and then putting those donations back into the community to organizations that help. Um, one of our hospitals has the like regional program for sexual assault and domestic abuse treatment. So we're going to support them in August. And then in July will be one of the women's shelters. And in June will be an organization that supports getting menstrual products up into indigenous communities that don't have access to them. So just trying to give back and trying to help, but then outside of this pandemic container that we're all in right now, um, distance sessions are always offered. Um, On Instagram, I'm actually doing a monthly writing prompt So I start off the month saying, here's your three words to work with this month. And whatever comes out of that, 
is what comes out of that. And then I ask if people want to submit them, they can. If they want a second set of eyes on their work or they want somebody to validate that their work exists, I'm happy to do that. And then at the end of the month, we'll do an open mic on Instagram Live. And if people want to pop on and request access and they can share their work and breathe it into existence, cool, let's do that. It's, it's all, I, I so deeply just want people to find their voice Ugh. and whatever avenue it takes for them to get there, I'm happy to help guide them there. That's so beautiful. So then can you give us your contact information? How can we reach you? And also I will put that in the write-up for the podcast so people can know. Yeah, I am at Moyer and Co. Um, so M-O-Y-E-R-A-N-D co.co.com. Um, and then on Facebook and Instagram, it's Moyer and co everywhere. Okay. So oh. everything matches and it's easy. Perfect. Good. <laughs> we need easy right now. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. And you know what, just for the people who are listening, I, I don't know yet if we're going to be releasing the video with the, with this or not, mm -hmm. we might be, but, um, in case you're just listening listeners, um, the way that Shannon looks at me, like when I'm talking to her is so warm and inviting. Aww. So yeah. And so it's like, I feel like whatever I'm saying is just like, is important and that you're like hearing it and that you're like, you're excited to hear what I have to say. And that like, you just, you do have like such a really incredible presence where it's like, Oh, you're going to make me cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Tears are good. Tears are okay. <laughs> that you like you do so like you you can tell like just by this conversation that you like you do actually care about what you're doing and you really believe in the importance of it and i just love that you took the time to talk with me and uh, and share some of your life i think that it would be really cool if maybe we could do this again sometime i'd be more than happy to okay more than happy to okay uh and yeah uh and to the people listening like you I just believe that this is a really good resource. It's something that, I mean, who doesn't have things that they need to work through, right? Like oh, we all do. That's the human, that's the human existence. We're not, yeah. nothing is just handed out and easy as a human being. There's so much that we have to figure out, but we, we aren't meant to do it alone. We end up being conditioned to do it alone and to bury a whole bunch of things. And there's the expectation that, stiff upper lip kiddo you can just do it yes but you don't have to do it that way Ugh. you can choose you can actively choose vulnerability and to not have it be so hard Ugh. yes yes to not have it be so hard because we do that to ourselves we do and it's just kind mm -hmm. of like oh you don't want to deal with my whatever stuff so I'm gonna just mm -hmm put this on myself and try to sort through it by myself. And I'm, it's just a terrible way of burying yourself. So yep. thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me here. So I hope that you have a really wonderful rest of your day. It's two o'clock there now. Yep. Two o'clock. Oh, time some. to go. Time to go make some muffins with some kids. Oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> Oh, I wonder if maybe I'll do the same thing. Um, so everybody who's listening, 
Thank you so much for listening. We love that you're taking the time to do this. We hope that it's been helpful to you. Definitely check out what Shannon is up to. And just know that wherever you are, Shannon and I are sitting here loving you. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, night. We'll be talking to you soon.